Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Datz, and I will be your host. We are here at Studio 54 in Midtown Manhattan. Today, I am joined by producer Kyle, and our guest this week is Mark Malusis. You can see him on SNY. You can hear him on The Fan. You can actually see and hear him many other different places. You've got like 18 million jobs. It's amazing. You gotta hustle. You gotta hustle. You do, and you are the epitome of uh, the guy who hustles in this business. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hey, what's going on, Alexa? Pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, uh, are you tired yet? Do you get tired? When do you sleep? What happens? Of course you get tired. I mean, of course you get tired. You run around. I work seven days a week. Uh, there are times where you know you get an hour long cat nap, which I did this afternoon. Last oh, night nice. I got home. Last night I got home at about twelve fifteen. I was up at four uh, fifteen in the morning. I did a national show from six to nine a.m. Uh, drove back home. My wife is pregnant with our third child. Wow! So we had a doctor's appointment at ten a.m. Went to the doctor's appointment from ten to eleven. Got home at eleven thirty. Took a nap till twelve thirty. Got up. And here I am. I well, had an I early say, show at SNY, got a late show at SNY, and then back early tomorrow morning doing a national Well, show. you always have an amazing amount of energy when you're on the air. So the fact that you don't get any sleep is yeah. never uh, revealed. Like Caffeine No one can helps. ever tell. Caffeine helps. you got to drink a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. A lot an of incredible coffee. amount. Yeah. yeah, so that's exactly right. Well, well this is, I think, us, my fourth cup today. It also makes us feel special that you fit the podcast in because you have such a busy schedule. Well, I so felt I bad. We were that. supposed to do it earlier on this afternoon. I was like, I, I can't do it earlier on this afternoon. I go, my wife's going to kill me if I don't oh miss this doctor's God. appointment. I can't be like, I, you know what? I got to go do something else in the city. So I had to go out there and take care of business with my wife, make sure everything's healthy with the baby, and God, uh, God bless it is. And uh, and then uh, off to work. I'm glad we were able to do it tonight. So yeah. it's good stuff. Well, I really appreciate it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, we wanted to talk with you a little bit about the trade deadline. Yeah. And we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk a little bit of football. And since we're both Redskins fans, I feel like we can just get on Kyle about what's going to happen this season. Oh, Although he's a giant fan. Uh, I I made sure to actually wear the giant tie because I knew both of you would be here. Like, that was my plan. Is that true? Yes. Really? This is all played out? He's a troll. He's just literally a troll. I I am. I do. Why didn't you wear your Odell Beckham jersey, then? I don't have an Odell Beckham jersey. Really? What giant jersey do you have? A lot. Okay, what's oh, your... Oh, how about heart? the Victor Cruz one Victor that Cruz, you got signed, signed by Victor Cruz, who was, he was a guest on the podcast. I owe Alexa a ton for that, so thank you, Alexa. Well, right. you can't wear that. That's no, got to be framed. It's on its way to be framed as There you speak. go. Um, I have two Jason Pierre-Paul ones, blue and white. I have a Justin Tuck one in blue. I right. have Jeremy Shockey Authentic from when I was a kid. Eli Manning in red. Um, oh, I hate when he wears the red. Oh, the red jersey. You know, I got I got the red jersey as a gift, so it wasn't like I would have picked it out. But it from was like a, a gift, non-sports so. band, though, right? From like your mom. My grandmother bought it for me. She nice. just saw it. Okay. She saw it. You can she, tell. Was, yeah, Good she job, saw it. It was Eli Manning, and she she grabbed it, and that yeah. was it. Um, yeah. So Tuck, Pierre, Paul. The only one I don't have that I'm upset about is I don't have Strahan, and I really need to get that because he is my favorite giant of all time. Strahan. Is. Yeah, I got to get a Strahan one. But I do think my next immediate purchase, because my Victor Cruz one is done, and that's the Nike ones, and I love the way the Nike ones are cut, I have to get an Odell Beckham. Nike jersey. Well, you've slimmed down, so now you can support Yeah, that. I can. I can wear you've it a trimmed bit. out, right? Yeah. And there you Pokemon you go. go. That's, That's what he's exactly. been playing. He's been oh, playing is, the Pokemon are you, Go Are you app. serious? Yeah, dude, I walk around. Why are you into that? It's nostalgia for me. He's a nerd. Me. That and nostalgia. Because when, when I was a kid, we did this discussion last week. What is the point? Exactly. Uh, I think it's a fitness application. If it's I'm not a fitness not. application. But you're going to tell me that I, I'm not walking seven miles a day because of it. But what is the point? What At the end of it, what do you accomplish? And that's going to go away in about a month. Oh, once maybe. The but over. at least I'm I'll still you. be walking around then. So, you know, it's like already ingrained in my brain to just keep doing it at this point. No, Have you reached a you're certain a level? Uh, yeah. 
But are you proud of that level you've reached? Is proud the right word I can use for walking around playing a video game? No, it's just something that has happened because it's what I do and a bunch of my friends all but play as well. But be different, Kyle. Be different. Go am, against the tide. Yeah, but you know Don't what? Don't go is, with the tide. It Don't is go fun. with the trend. It, it is, go against it the trend. It is fun. And I already so got this from, the guy I that this I almost hit yesterday. last night in the city. No, see, because I am at least aware of what's going on and i'm not like oh i need to run across the street at this exact moment and get hit by a car to catch this one thing well, no, last night I'm dri- well yeah well last night i'm driving home after sny i'm on i'm on 50 what am i on 50 i think uh i'm on 8th avenue right and i'm going north right and there's a woman standing in the middle of the road yeah and it's like 12 o'clock at night and i'm like what do you got what are you doing and i had to honk my horn then she looked up she's staring at her phone obviously she's playing the game right and otherwise it's some text message or someone sexted her or something <laughs> like that but i mean something's going on i imagine she's playing the pokemon go game i mean what are you doing here i mean yeah. come on go do something else with your life i i like i am better at being aware of my surroundings i'm not trying to stand in the middle of the street i'm a little bit more reserved than i think some of the other people are to play it so i think i can take solace in that but it's still it, it is nerdy but i'm a nerd the so, conversation you know, we had last week on the podcast was right. there are two different groups of human beings one that watched the bachelorette and one that played pokemon go and i have to detest both of them because i i loathe both things yeah i don't watch either i yeah. didn't watch no, the bachelorette I mean, yeah. and i did i have but both are such huge phenomenons right now oh, huge phenomenon they're, they're very big everyone celebrated that jordan rogers was uh picked by jojo yeah and i'm over here just Wait, upset did, that he's did you know that after we secrets. spoke about it from last week is yeah that, i did oh, so all right well I that's kind of what i why i ended up deciding to talk i'm about glad it. moose is here because now i would have never known and we needed this resolution well he got hired by the sec network former vandy quarterback he won, doesn't get along with his brother he got the publicity he wanted he was the star out of that whole thing all right, so we will get to a little bit of football talk. Do you have any jerseys, by the way? We're talking about college I have a jerseys. Sean Taylor jersey. Oh, good one. A Sean Taylor. Yeah. Retro Redskins Sean Taylor. That's the only Redskin jersey I wear. I have a couple John Riggins. My wife, as our wedding gift, got me a Riggins autographed home white uh, Hall of Fame jersey. Wow. Which is fantastic. That's in our family room. It's hung up on the wall. That was my wedding gift when we got married eight years and ago. And Riggins was the reason you were a Redskins fan originally, That was the reason. Right? Yeah, first yeah. football game I ever watched growing up as a kid. My family are all Giant fans. Grew up in Rockland. County. My dad's a Giant fan. Sisters are Giant fans. Uh, we had, uh, you know, we used to go to a handful of Giant games each and every year growing up. But um, the Redskins, I fell in love with Washington, kind of going against the curve a little bit. Riggins was the first football game. He was in the first football game I watched, and that's how I became a Skins fan. See, Kyle, going against the grain. That's this fine. is what he's trying no, to teach that, you. That's fine. But Learn I, from Mark. you know. You like to go against the grain, but you are also a Yankees, Rangers, and Knicks yeah. fan, too. Although, so you, yeah. didn't, you didn't go no, entirely didn't go against the grain. Well, just he's not going to throw everything out the window. Right. I, mean, right. I mean, come on. You could be like Abiel, who's a fan of all these crazy sports, who's no longer our cameraman. He's, anyway. a, he's a fan <laughs> of the big sports. I right. mean, he's like that guy that we used to work with. I don't even want to talk about his name. He, he was a little, you know, a Bulls fan and right. a Yankees fan and a North Carolina fan. Oh, you I know. know who you're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> who threatened to punch me in the face. Oh, that was not a good night. No. It was, I mean, it's entertaining now because he didn't actually punch me. Yeah, it's funny afterwards. I yeah, guess. of course. Right, years down the line. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like to give Dan Snyder money. So I don't have. I have a couple Redskins jerseys, but my main ones that I'm really proud of are um, like the Jason Campbell Raiders jersey. So I like to support the quarterbacks when they leave the Redskins, who Campbell were like good stunk. for us. Yeah, but he was he was my guy. Jason, Why was, I was he behind, your guy? Because I was behind him. He was my quarterback, man. That's my quarterback. What are you, T.O.? Yeah. Okay. Wait, my wait, how, how exactly are you a Jay? How did you become a Jay? What are you, an Auburn fan? No, I support guys who get basically crushed. By, like, I'm going to get an RG3 Browns jersey. Right. Because I support guys who get crushed by our organization who I think, and Campbell's a little bit different, I know, because he had injuries, but 
the organization doesn't handle these guys well. And when they go somewhere else and end up thriving, and he ended up doing all right with the Raiders before he got hurt. Right. I like that he had that second opportunity and somebody else gave him that second opportunity. And it's never Dan Snyder. Well, listen, I, I can't I can't support Dan Snyder, Alexa, but Jason Campbell wasn't a particularly good quarterback. And RG3, you have to admit, RG3 was his own worst enemy down in D.C. too. He didn't handle everything well. He didn't handle it where it was basically but himself and the rest of the year. Of the, I mean, he did everything he could. He electrifying. put it all out on the field. He was great, electrifying. But the stories that you've heard about what plays could be called when he's drawn up on the, score, on the chalkboard or the dry erase board with the Shanahan's in attendance when he's calling the meeting, his relationship with Dan Snyder, everything that came along with it. That is not how you lead a team if you're Robert Griffin III. And he did not get better. I understand that. But I do also think that they could have formed the the system around him a little bit better than they did. They expected him to adapt, and it wasn't for him. That's never how he acted like an athlete before. So right. all of a sudden, you're going to expect him to change. You know who he is. You know exactly what you're getting. You, when you bring him into the organization, why not build around him and around his, you know, the way he could skill perform set. the best? Well, yeah. yeah, but the, the issue you have is that you can't run that Baylor offense in the National Football League. Guys are too fast, too big, too quick. I mean, you're going to get guys killed. So when you're running that read option offense, it works collegiately because there is a drop-off, a significant drop-off from program to program, so you can get by with it if you're Art Bryles at Baylor. Uh, I know he's no longer there, but that style of offense, you can run that collegially. You can't run that consistently in the National Football League. The other thing, Alexa, he didn't protect himself. He never got down. He never ran out of bounds. Do you think the only reason he didn't perform well for the Redskins, as well as he could have, is because of him, not because of anything that the Redskins did wrong? No, no, I think it's a combination, but right. I do think he he did not help out his cause either. Yes, but I blame more. I play. I place bl- more of the blame on Dan Snyder than I do RG three. Do you think he's a pocket quarterback? Yes, you do. I do. You really think he'll succeed as a pocket passer? I do because he's an amazing athlete. But and he's you not can... an accurate quarterback. He's not a great thrower of the football down the field. But we, he hasn't gotten the chance to be that guy yet. No one's given him that opportunity. I'd love to listen. I'd love to see him succeed with the Cleveland Browns. I just don't see it. I mean, honestly, I don't because I think he was given every opportunity to adapt with the Washington Redskins. See, I don't and think he so. Did not. I don't think that he was actually given the chance to do that. Plus, a lot of the times he was just given inaccurate information. They told him that he wasn't healthy when he knew he was, when the doctors had him cleared. They had him sitting out for absolutely no reasons on the sidelines. Like, what are you doing with the guy? Well, you're just going you're, you're gonna to treat him like garbage, essentially, when he is the one who, who uh, you know, brought this franchise back from the dead. You've got all these people who are all of a sudden Redskins fans again, real Redskins fans, and it, it's basically because of this one guy, and now you treat him like trash. Well, but, they, but he also buried himself, too. I mean, you know, and I'm not saying the Redskins handled everything well. They did not. And yeah. we know this as the you know, anything ran by Daniel Snyder is not going to be run effectively. <laughs> so I, I get all that. But, you know, Robert Griffin III down in D.C., with the way that he conducted himself, where he thought it was himself and everybody else, did not make any friends where he was going to get that kind of second chance and third chance and be given the benefit of the doubt. That's the biggest issue I have with RG3. Maybe he's been humbled a little bit. Hopefully it lands with Hugh Jackson with the Cleveland Browns. He's got a hell of a wide receiver in Josh Gordon out there, and he's right. got Corey Coleman. So he's got some 
weapons to deal with it out there in Cleveland. Listen, I'll root for him. Do well, I have my doubts of whether or not he'll ever be that kind of quarterback? I don't think he'll ever be what he was as a rookie again. Right. Okay. And I, I totally get that. But my jersey purchase is more about the hope and where he's going. And that was the same thing with Jason Campbell, which is like, I hope that somebody will pick him up and treat him well and, and he gets into a system where it works. Just because I like the guy. I mean, I knew right. both of them and I think they were great guys. And also, in terms of taking sides, I'd rather take sides with the millionaires over the billionaires. Like well, if I have to pick sides, I think both so were. I think both were a disaster in the situation. Agreed. I think he was, and so was the, the billionaire owner. Yeah, he's he's definitely a, a menace. Though. <laughs> I mean, that it's... guy is. He's a lot. He's a lot to handle. All right. So because of the trade deadline this week, uh, let's talk about the two New York teams, yeah. right? So Mets acquired Jay Bruce and then reacquired John Neese. Yeah. Your thoughts. Uh, listen, uh, anytime you can get rid of Ante- Antonio Bastardo, I think it's a, it's a he positive. He was so slow. We thought he was they were mocking so good, him though. during the game when he was on the mound. Oh. They literally were laughing at him. What it was you so could bad. do in between pitches. I think Gary was talking about that on yeah, SNY. The Gary grass Cohen. growing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, anytime you can get rid of that. So, he was I supposed mean, to help, though. He really was supposed to help. Yeah, that and he was like, like everyone loved that move. Right. When and they made it, two everyone for thought 12. it was a good move. Everyone thought it was going to be a positive. Lefty coming out of the bullpen. Guy can go out there and throw a little gas. He would have a drop off in velocity. Was severely ineffective and was never trusted by Terry Collins. So I think that's addition by subtraction. I don't know exactly what you're going to get from Jonathan Neese, but anytime you can get rid of Bastardo, I think that's a positive. And for Bruce, I think it helps. I mean, now you have a 3 4 middle part of that lineup with Cespedes and Bruce that I think is going to work and help out this offense. They're dreadful with runners in scoring position. I think they were hitting 203, 204 as a team. Absolutely awful. I think their average with balls in play is the worst in Major League Baseball. They're a fly ball hitting team. Does Bruce solve that? No, Jay Bruce does not solve that, but he's the NL RBI leader. He hit 25 home runs coming into it when he was acquired come July 31st by the Mets, and now I think he hopefully takes some pressure off the rest of the guys in that lineup. He's got 80 RBI right now, right? 80, yep. How do you think he finishes out in the RBI category? Uh, I think he'll be over 100. I mean, I, I think he'll probably get to 102, 103. I could see him driving in uh, 22, 23 runs in the next couple months for the Mets. He might even give you a little bit more than that. But I would not expect a Cespedes type of performance uh, after they acquired him last July 31st. I mean, Cespedes in a Met uniform, especially after July 31st last year, played at a level that Yoannis Cespedes has never played at, nor will he ever play at ever again as a major league player. He played like a Greek god. I mean, that's really what it was. Any big hit, any big home run, he was driving everything over the fence. He was taking advantage of bad pitching. I mean, Cespedes played at an unbelievable level. Don't expect that from Jay Bruce. Right, and I would agree with you, except for we see these things like Daniel Murphy, and you would say he would never have the run that he's having now had you seen, you know, after you saw what he had in the postseason. You're, right. You were saying, well, he's never going to carry that into next season. You know, why would we keep him, let him go? And he's having an amazing year. So you never know what's going to happen. No, you, you never know, but I'll give Murph credit because I, I think Murphy, and, and everyone's knocking the Mets. Give Murphy a lot of credit because he was basically told anybody is a life lesson for anybody out there. Anybody that's ever you've ever been told that you're not good enough, uh, that you're not part of the solution, that you can't be the answer. Daniel Murphy has basically proven the Mets wrong, and I think that is a, that is a good thing, and that's uh, good for him because he he wanted to be here. He wanted to be in New York. They didn't want to give him a multi year deal. They offered him the one year, fifteen point eight million dollars, just basic basically for the sandwich draft pick, uh, more so than anything else. They knew he was 
wasn't going to take it. And he has turned himself into an NL MVP candidate for the Washington Nationals. He's been absolutely fantastic. So I do think that is in, in a sports realm, a good life lesson, really, for everybody out there. He's used it as motivation. The Mets have helped turn him. Kevin Long helped turn him into the hitter that he is right now for the Washington Nationals, driving the ball over the fence. And now he's finally the hitter that really Jerry Manuel and Omar Manaya thought he was going to be about eight, nine years ago. You're kind of, you know, under the assumption, the the uh, theory that there's another side of the coin, right? So the offense has been slumping. So it can't it can be this turn- bad, Alexa, all season, can they? I mean, they yes, they could be. I, yeah, I, I think there's going to be an uptick. I, I don't think they're going to hit 204 as a team over the entire 162-game regular season. Plus, I don't think the offense needs to be six or seven runs a game for the Mets to be able to win. I don't think they'll win the NL East. I think the Nats are gone. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're coming back to the pack. I think after they acquired the Pirates' closer, Melanson, uh, right before the MLB trade deadline, I don't, think, I don't think Washington's coming back to them. And their offense is clicking right away. So with that being said, you're talking about the NL wild card. They can still get to where they need to go, which is the World Series. They don't need an unbelievable offense. They need a work offense, and that is not what this offense has been for the majority of this regular season, and still they're right there in the wildcard race. Right. So when Jonathan Neese came in the game the other day, we had just done a game on the scoreboard, and I don't know if the answer was wrong or something got mixed up, and everyone started booing. And I was like, oh man, they're booing. It was my partner who had done the game on the scoreboard. I was like, oh man, they're booing him. This is really bad. And then I turned around and realized that Nice was on the mound and they were booing Nice. And they booed him really, really hard. Like they People don't forget. They don't. And it was funny when he walked into the press conference earlier that day, he was like, like, I'm like a boomerang. Like I'm back. Right. And he has this like bravado about him and then goes out and gets booed. And it doesn't really seem to phase him. I don't know. Do you think or do you think he's one of those guys that it does phase him a lot, and so he tries to kind of push back. Well, I think any, nobody enjoys getting booed unless you're Barry Bonds. I mean, he was probably the <laughs> only guy that fed off getting booed, uh, you know. But uh, I think he's trying to. I think he's trying to com- compartmentalize it more so than anything else. But uh, it shows you Met fans and the team uh, do have long memories. Uh, you know, he was did not handle himself with any sort of class on the way out. Knocked the Mets fielding, even though he was going to a Pirate team that defensively was worse than the Mets. Um, which he tried is to kind take it funny. back, by the way. Right. He tried to take it he, back. He said but that still. that's so not what he meant. He well, knew, but just come feel on, like we all know. No, okay, it. get over it. That's right. what I said. So no, I, I don't think he, I don't think anybody Alexa enjoys getting booed. So, uh, but I think if he goes out there and does his job, just like anything else. People forget. You know, people really do forget. They forgive. They do move on. But it's going to take a little bit of time. As long as he does his job as a lefty coming out of the bullpen, it'll be okay. When this all shakes out, you think that they get the wild card? I do think they're a wild card team. Yes, I do think so because I I think Degrom has turned the corner. Now I'm going on the breast of it. I'm going on the idea that the pitchers stay healthy, right? Right. So if if I if the Mets lose Mats, I don't know. I probably reshape my opinion at that stage. But if I'm going on the fact that I'm going to get Degrom Mats and Syndergaard here consistently over the next two months of the regular season. I think they outlast the Marlins. I think they outlast the Cardinals. I think they get themselves a wild card berth in the National League. Who do you start in the wild card game? Uh, I think the Mets' best pitcher right now is Jacob Degrom. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, the I, best pitcher I, right now is Jacob Degrom. I, I, I kind of he's agree, the most consistent. But it's I, not even close. I think in that kind of a, you need one game to win. Syndergaard might go out and pitch you a gem. He well, might. Why, go why out wouldn't and, Degrom do it? Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean you listen, saw him going I, out I think there between, out the Dodgers really, last year. I really feel like it's a coin flip. If I'm honest, but I just I love watching Syndergaard pitch. But if you've well, got, really got a pitcher do. that doesn't have a bone spur and a pitcher that does, who do you want out there? 
Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. And the one who doesn't has been one of the most consistent pitchers in the major league. You're asking me to be logical, and I just want to see 100 mile an hour fastballs just blowing people by. Like it's just fun to watch. And I I do think he's throwing 120 pitches in six innings. I know. I know. You're just idolizing like Thor, the idea of Thor being on the mound. Um, yeah, I know. Now, I do know. you dress up when you go to the stadium? I yeah, he puts a blonde I, wig on. Okay, that's do a lot. Do you really? I haven't been to yeah, the stadium does. at all. And he carries around a hammer, like a blow up uh, hammer. Now I'm, okay, well, now I'm just going to do it because, but I actually haven't been to a game at all this year. You have not. No, Last year. He's a terrible fan. Last year, the first time I went to City Field was to see the Foo Fighters play. So you've not been, you I haven't, haven't been, been to a Met game in two years. He's not an actual baseball fan. I really am not a baseball fan. Now, would you dress up? Like when Harvey was starting, would you dress up as Batman? If I had Batman stuff, why not? No, you wouldn't. Come on, man. I love Batman. Get a grip. I don't have any of this stuff. You would not. His whole life is virtual reality. He has no actual reality. Yeah. Is that true? No. Yes, it is. It's just, it's true. He exercises through a virtual reality app. What do you mean? Well, he walks seven miles a day playing Pokemon Go. That's right. Through his phone. Is that a bad thing, though? Like, I'm still not sure that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's what you do. Well, there's some things you do need a little reality to. Yeah, I guess. No, you do. <laughs> I, I'm here, aren't I? The phone's away, kind of. No, I don't. Just I don't straight up. You do. You I don't, do. I don't do. think I'd. I don't think I'd get dressed up for a baseball game. Oh, good. I, that's I'm also. Glad, I just haven't been. That, I just I'm haven't been to, to uh, baseball games at all. So just okay. Comic Con. All right, let's move on to the other team in yeah. New York. Uh, a Rod. What's the A Rod situation? What are they going to do with him? Yeah, I, I don't think they should cut him. And honestly, I, I think until you hear from Hal Steinbrenner, I don't think uh, anything you're seeing leaked to the media right now really holds any water. Um, there are certainly guys in that Yankee organization uh, that want to see the undoing of Alex Rodriguez that don't really care, that have a long memory of how he dragged the organization through the mud, uh, mind you. And last year was all good because he hit 33 home runs. This year he's struggling. He's four for his last 37. Uh, so there are going to be guys that are going to go out there and try and get their ounce of blood. That's a fact. So that's why you're seeing the stories leaked out the way that they are. But until you hear from the Yankee owner, Hal Steinbrenner, it begins and ends with him. They owe him $27 million. That's not going away anytime soon. A-Rod is good with young players. He's handled himself, Alexa, brilliantly since he came back from the suspension. I would not cut Alex Rodriguez. I think you need something to sell. I'd rather see A-Rod get four at-bats than Teixeira right now. I'd rather see A-Rod go out there and attempt to try and get to 700 home runs. But certainly you're seeing right now uh, an idea that uh, they might cut him. I don't think it's happening this year. Um, could it happen before the start of next season? It could. Uh, but I would probably keep A-Rod around to try and tutor, uh, to try and work with some of these young guys because they still they still love him. I mean, and he still connects. Uh, you know, ask Melky Cabrera, ask Robbie Cano, ask a number of those guys on that 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 used to be Yankees. How they really loved Alex Rodriguez and um, how he helped them. And and A-Rod loves baseball. That's the biggest difference between Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter. A-Rod loves baseball. He watches it morning, noon, and night. Uh, he has the baseball network. He uh, enjoys uh, he enjoys the sport and lives the sport. Derek Jeter never really did. He just played it and played it brilliantly, and he's an all-time great. But A-Rod, uh, this is what his life is all about, is Major League Baseball. So I'd keep him around. I don't know if the Yankees will. I think Hal Steinbrenner makes, ultimately makes that decision. I don't think he's made that decision just yet. Well, A-Rod was brilliant when he was on Fox to the World Series. Everyone right. loved that. And yeah. You're right. He is a, a, an aficionado. He knows everything, and the, he, there's a lot for these younger players to learn from. This is a a weird question. I don't even know if this is possible, but is there any chance that they could move him to like a coaching role 
and still pay him the money he's he's owed or some of the money to free up a roster spot so he can still teach the younger guys? Is there any chance that that could I happen? I don't think so. I mean, I think he would have to be a guy that you DH and pinch hit next year uh, if he stuck around. But he's going to want every single last dollar that comes his way, right? So, right. you know, they did away with the, the bonuses for hitting certain home run plateaus. He lost a lot of money when he served that suspension uh, of his own doing by Major League Baseball. He's going to want every single dollar that's coming his way. So he's not going to take 70 cents on the dollar, 80 cents on the dollar. He's going to want it all coming to his way, and rightfully so. But could I see that kind of coaching thing? Uh, right now, probably not. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But I would keep him around as a player. I still think there's value to Alex Rodriguez, even at this stage. Plus, the Yankees aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Why not just keep him around? Right. And you th- you don't think there's any chance that he could go somewhere else and you know be a starter and not be an impact player? But he's you know he's still got a power bat and he still could actually play every day for you know a team that maybe just needs that and you know that's not going to be the Yankees. Well, I mean, there's some spec. Maybe it's the Marlins, um, right. but he wouldn't be. He can't play the field. He can't run. He can't play third base. So maybe you go out there and he becomes a pinch hitter. He lands in a soft spot. Mattingly, who's familiar with Alex Rodriguez and right. and Barry Bonds is the hitting coach down there with the Marlins. So maybe it ends up being there. He has a great familiarity with that community. The community has supported him over the course of the years. So. Maybe the Marlins become a soft landing spot at some point in time, but he's no longer an everyday player. The bats were just way too slow. Last year, he was catching up to 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. This year, he's just fouling them all for popping up to the right field. Yeah. You're a big Yankees fan with everything they did at the trade deadline. Loved it. You have to, right? Yeah, loved it. They're not going anywhere. But also, you had really no other option. Is this a little bit weird for you, though? No, I, I well, it is weird. Right. It, it is strange. Be, yeah. You know, but it's refreshing. You know why it's refreshing? Because, I, you know, there's a little hope for the future. I can't wait to see what Clint Frazier looks like next year in a Yankee uniform. I'm excited to see what Aaron Judge looks like. Greg Bird coming back off of the shoulder surgery. Mateo down the line. You know, we've seen Severino back with the team, and he found himself, and now he's back into, uh, back into the bullpen. But the future of Luis Severino, certainly, you look at it, they're not going anywhere. So my whole thing was, instead of just being a playoff contender, you're building something to try and be a championship contender, and that's what the Yankees are trying to do right now, trying to win a title, which they were not doing with this crew. So smarter minds prevailed at the end of it, and they decide to pair guys off, which makes most baseball sense. I've never seen the Yankees fan base at least in the past couple of seasons, this excited for yeah. for doing something that like normal teams do during all the trade the line all yeah. the time. Yeah. But you're, not, you're not the first person I've heard say this either. This weekend I was moving and yeah. my mom's husband was driving me and Jason to Brooklyn to our new place. And we're listening to the Yankees game and the entire time he is screaming... Sell every goddamn piece. Yeah. I am a season ticket holder. I will go there and watch all the young kids play if you sell off everything. The and team's that's boring. Pretty much what they did. Yeah, He's the like, I will boring. go watch all yeah. these young kids play. You fill the whole stadium up with young kids who are there to play, and you will get more people in the seats than having these old busted players that suck. Yeah, but I, you know, over over time, it's not going to last. If the, the young players have to perform, well, yeah, right. So if they're winning sixty games, nobody's going to pay but their hard money. But for this season, like the argument I hear a lot is. Well, how are you going to get people interested in going to the stadium? And I think making these moves and saying, "Hey, look, we're we're building for the future right now. Come see these young, the young few young guys we've got right now." I don't think so. Next I think A Rod is selling tickets right now really? just for the for the home run potential. If there's when anyone, when was the last selling- time A Rod hit a home run? A while ago, but okay. if anyone's selling tickets, it's him. No one's there to go see uh, these young guys that they've never even heard of before yet. 
Well, an I mean, average Yankees fan is not. That's not what's driving them to the ballpark. Well, no, I mean, but they're having problems drawing guy, drawing people to the to the Bronx as it is. Yeah, I, I do think A Rod's still a selling point. Um, probably not as much now as he once was, but I, I think there is the lore of the young prospect. Everyone wants to see guys come up through their farm system, homegrown guys. That's what made you know Posada and Jeter and Rivera and Pettit and Bernie Williams so special. And then you went out there and reinforced that with veterans like Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill and David Cohn and Girardi and everything like that. So you reinforce those young players, but still it's the young players that have a special place in any organization's heart. So I think Yankee fans are excited to see Gary Sanchez finally. You've heard about him since he was 16 years of age. You've heard the name Gary Sanchez for seven years if you're a Yankee fan. Finally, he's up with the Major League Club. You like to see that. You like the potential of Aaron Judge down the line. You liked what you saw last year from Greg Bird. So there are things with this organization and team that you like because I think there are I think there are fans that really get behind homegrown players. Yeah, I agree, and I think the same thing with the Mets. You know, when you see these guys come up, when you see the Nimos of the world, and you see you know Flores and what he's turned into, it really does say a lot. And people get attached to these guys that they've seen right. play and heard about for a really long time. And you're right, Sanchez is exactly a, a great example now, of that. As a Yankees fan, though, you know a big purchase is coming soon. Oh, I'm within, sure. Within the next They're two always, seasons, Kyle. They're always oh, I know. Spend so, money. which one do you want the most? Um, and there's one that's going to drive her insane when you say it too. One that I would want the most. Which uh, these? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's Harper. It might be Harper, but I would probably if if Fernandez hits free agency. I wish we had a Jose drop Fernandez. button. She'd be like, ah! yeah. but <laughs> well, you, listen, he's dreamed of being a Yankee fan. I know. Yankee. Believe me, I've his heard dad. it over and over again. I know. Believe me, and the Yankees are going to have a lot of money to spend that oh, offseason, Alexa. Harper and Harvey, nauseous. 2018 Yankees. Oh. It's going to be so nauseous. Fernandez and Harper. No, you don't. You don't want Harvey anymore. You're done with that train. Harvey's Harvey's right now a train wreck. What yeah. are you serious? I mean, he had the he had first a, he had the uh, major arm surgery. Now he's got the. I don't know what Matt Harvey's going to be coming. By the way, when everyone was saying sell on Matt Harvey, that's when they should have sold. And everyone was like, "What are you talking about? Sell on Matt Harvey? You're crazy." No, it doesn't sound so crazy now. No, no I, I wouldn't have hated that move. I mean, I would have been upset, but I wouldn't have hated it if you got stuff back and then this happened down the line anyway. But, but the irrational fan was the one yeah. saying sell, sell, sell. That doesn't seem that irrational. No, it doesn't. When, when you had the hindsight, which obviously you know hindsight's now, it doesn't but, seem so bad. Right. It's, right. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> for, for three years, though, at SNY, all I heard from Yankee fans were, just wait till we see Harvey and Pinstripes. And now you guys are, oh, no, no, we, oh, never, listen, we never want Harvey. We don't know. want Harvey anymore. Well, it has a big year next year. We'll be right back on board. Yeah, exactly. You'll hop you right back on that train. Fan, you know that. And you'll be there wearing your Batman mask, right? Yes. 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 I'll, I'll pass helmet. the mask off to you when he's a Yankee. And his then. Thor helmet. I will never wear a mask <laughs> to Yankee Stadium. I'll tell you that. Never. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I don't think they'll even allow them in the building. <laughs> probably not. No. Probably not. No masks, no beards. All right, Moose, you're a huge Skins fan. I want to talk a little bit of NFL. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Skins fan also. Obviously, we've talked about them a lot on the podcast. So on Facebook every day, I'm watching the updates from training camp. I'm watching Deshaun Jackson, school Josh Norman. I don't know if you've seen these videos of the two yeah. of them battling. Uh, and then I've seen Norman staying after practice, and he's been catching balls, and really he's been working out uh, overtime, signing autographs with the kids. Uh, the only negative, honestly, that I've seen come out of training camp was the, the um, junior Galette injury, which was terrible because he tore his Achilles last year. And tore the other one this year. And tore the other one this year, and he hasn't been able to really step on the field. 
but he had a really good outlook about it. I just heard he's such a good guy, and it's you know it's really tough when you see a guy go down like that. But the one upside is once you have surgery on both your Achilles, apparently there's only a three percent chance that you re-rupture them. So he really shouldn't have to ever worry about it again if wow. he can get back on the field. I didn't realize that. Yeah, if you uh, that's a good mend stat, them. Alexa. We're also a medical <laughs> podcast now right. too. That's right, <laughs> Doctor Dat over here. Yeah, just pulling out stuff. Um, but have you seen stuff about the Redskins? Are you psyched about the NFC East? Yeah, I mean, I think they've got an opportunity. I think they're right there with the Cowboys, even though uh, they've suffered some injuries here early on in training camp. I think the Giants, if the uh, defensive players do come together, I think certainly they're more talented. I think Pierre Paul is going to have a much better year this year and certainly uh, had another hand surgery in the offseason, going to be able to use it. But you know, with the skins, I got to see you know Cousins go out there and play uh, consistently the way that he did over the last twelve games last year in the regular season. Now over sixteen games, seventeen weeks. Um, that Snyder's not going to get in the way. That the Redskins are not going to be dysfunctional. That there's not going to be ravaged by some injury. I still have concerns about the offensive line. I love Kerrigan opposite on one side of the defense, being able to get to the quarterback. But I have issues about whether or not they're going to be able to consistently get after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And a premier pass rush is the big time. I got trolled a little bit this morning. Really? Yeah, by a Washington Post article. NFL analyst, semicolon, Kirk Cousins is the worst starting quarterback in the NFC East. I'm like, hold on, excuse me, what is this? What is this garbage? So, you know, sometimes it's just way too early in the morning for these dumb headlines. But they wrote an article about how Charlie Casserly back in May said something on the radio that if Romo's healthy, Cousins is the worst of the bunch in the NFC East. And he well, was, that's not true. And he was put and I was even behind Sam Bradford. Yeah, they know Sam Bradford's in the NFC. Yeah, East, that's right? not true. Right. So I, I was like, what's going on? Like, why is that? And why is this making news now? It was just ridiculous. But he was making the point. He was kind of comparing the receivers and the receiving court and saying, well, this guy had this. So had Kirk Cousins had that, it would have been a different story because we have one of the best receiving cores in the NFC East. Yeah, I mean, Doxon. So if you flip-flopped some of the situations, that's kind of where he was going with that. Well, but. I think Bradford stinks, regardless of the receivers around him. I think he's just a bad quarterback. Yeah. I think he's a guy that uh, you put on the, you know, you put on the gym shorts and the and the shirt, and he can go out there. He can make all the throws. You put him in the classroom, and he'll, he'll break down any single defense whatsoever. I think you put him in a game, and he does not know how to have the game slow down for him. So wow. uh, I am not, I'm not a fan of Sam Bradford in any way, shape, or form. I think he's severely overrated. I think he has been since the day stepped out on the field coming out of Oklahoma with that you know so I can't take that any seriously if you look at the weapons I I don't think Kirk Cousins is just a product of the weapons around him certainly you need great players in order to be a great offense I mean just ask what Peyton Manning had Peyton Manning in Indianapolis he had Marvin Harrison and he had Reggie Wayne look what he had in Denver he had Demarius Thomas look what Tom Brady had up with the New England Patriots he's got Gronkowski Aaron Hernandez he's got Wes Welker now he's got Julian Edelman you need great players Eli Manning with Odell Beckham Jr., Tony Romo with Des Bryant, up and down the line. So to say that Kirk Cousins is just a product of the players around him, I think is a disservice. The questions I have with Cousins is, in a league in which you need to throw the ball deep, Mm -hmm. he cannot consistently throw the good deep ball. So he's better passer within 15 yards from the line of scrimmage, which is kind of Jay Gruden's offense. But as Phil Simms talks about it time and time again, if you're not taking shots down the field in the National Football League, you're doing yourself a really a big time disservice. They have the guys that can get deep. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, especially if the... when you got to Sean Jackson, right. he's probably looking back at Kirk Cousins like, "What the f? I'm all the way down the field. Yeah, what are you I don't doing, know dude? If you've got the quarterback to be able to get the ball deep, though. To push the ball down the field in Cousins, that's the big issue. Right. So, where do you see the Redskins ending up? 
Uh, I think they can win the division. I, I think they can. I think they can beat the Giants. I How think do they you, can. Okay, so Alexa was asked this on yeah. Twitter last week to okay. honestly taking all your bias out of as much as you can. How does the division finish at the end of the year without a single preseason game being played? Just let's go right now. Right now, how does the division finish up? I would probably say uh, Redskins, Giants, Cowboys, Eagles. See, Alexa put the Giants. And I would say Giants, Redskins, Cowboys, Eagles. Yeah. I Only because of what they did on paper, at right, least, defensively, was, this offseason. It just blows me away. Yeah, that was my argument and, trying to not be a dick about it, was that I do feel like the Giants on paper have the best team. But you got to play the games. And defensively, that's going to be very hard for the Redskins to go up against. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the Giants offensively is going to be, they're going to be very good. So I, I just have a concern about those guys, usually teams that are kings of the offseason. Usually it takes a little bit of time for them to be able the to find their The Redskins are the rhythm. kings of the offseason every <laughs> no doubt. year. You know that better than anybody, Alexa. Yeah. You know that better than anybody. I mean, we how win many the Super Bowl every offseason. Right. And then all of a sudden, the regular season, they're a downright disaster. So yeah. uh, the Giants certainly are much improved, but I, I think it's probably between those two teams for the division. Would it surprise me if the Giants won, Kyle? No, it wouldn't. Uh, but I'll take the Redskins by a smidge. Okay. I like being the underdog. I love it when the Giants are the underdog. You're not so. really the underdog. No, not we're even close defi- to the definitely underdog. not. I love not the underdog. I love it when everyone doubts the Giants. I guess is what I meant to say. When both well, Super Bowls them last year, you guys stunk. Oh, we were bad last year. Yeah, but Odell but was people, still Odell was still uh, great in fantasy. Matter. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, come Odell on, was dude. still great in fantasy. But everyone so. doubted him last year, and you got yeah, stunk. I know. Well, we were real bad last year. Yes, like, you were really unbelievably bad, and everyone doubted him. I'm so still there. a little bit concerned about the offensive line. <laughs> well, you though. just said I blew it right out of the water. <laughs> Thank you. That's why you're here now. I, I still, I still really doubt the offensive line though for the Giants. They didn't make well. The that right many side of the moves. offensive line is terrible. Right. I don't know. That's the other issue you have. But uh, you know, I, I think McAdoo's offense is about getting the ball out of Manning's hands quicker. Um, and I think now with I think Sterling Shepard, the rookie receiver out of Oklahoma, I've heard nothing but great things yeah, out of him. Yeah, everyone loves him. Just yeah, everybody loves him. Rave reviews everywhere. They say he's great, huge, great hands, similar no. to what you heard from Odell. He's just bigger than him. Right. Can play in the slot. Is probably going to get at least 20. Just playing in the slot, 20 or 25 easy catches is a matchup nightmare for any linebacker out there in the National Football League. The question is, can Cruz stay healthy? Odell Beckham Jr. had a little bit of an injury scare earlier this week. He's going to be A-OK. You know how brilliant he is. So I think the Giants offensively have a chance to be pretty special, but they're going to have to be. Moose, you grew up going to Giants games. What was the one Giants game that stood out to you in your memory? Um, I probably I went to a, a Sunday uh, Sunday night game. Giants skins. Mark Rippin. Uh, it was Gibbs. Um, it was Gibbs, and uh, it was the year they won the year before they won the Super Bowl. The Giant, uh, the Redskins, before they beat the. Uh, the Buffalo Bills in uh, Minneapolis. Uh-huh. Uh, so Sunday night game, uh, Twins were playing the Atlanta Braves in the uh, World Series. It was the Jack Morris game for uh, the Minnesota Twins in which he uh, he threw 10 shutout innings and beat the Atlanta Braves. It was one of the great pitching performances ever. So people were trying to follow that. People had like their little mini TVs uh-huh. with the antenna watching it there. So I was a young kid watching it. It was freezing. It was probably about 10 degrees outside. And that's not even given the windshield factor. Sitting in the upper deck at Old Giant Stadium and watching that. And I remember the, Gi- the Redskins won that game on a-, a flea flicker that Joe Gibbs used to always run. <laughs> in which um, Rippin took it uh, and uh, threw the ball deep to, uh, I think it was Gary Clark or Ricky Sanders for a touchdown. Uh-huh. And it was just, uh, I was the only guy in the upper deck celebrating. It was a fantastic <laughs> moment. It's a little bit dangerous for you. How old were you then? Um, oh, I was, at that stage, I was uh, 15. Yeah, so I guess you 
you survived, obviously, but on the yeah, upper, well, upper deck at Old mean, Giant Stadium, that's I'm a little bit dad, of dangerous area. What, we're with a group of buddies. They're all Giant fans. Yeah. Nothing, I mean, they're all no, no one's going to do anything. I'm a 15 year old kid. No yeah, that's, gonna do that's what I'm saying. You're you're allowed yeah, to be up there, but yeah. you would have gotten heckled if that's now. If that's you up there now in a well, it's Redskins changed. Jersey. I yeah. mean, now, I mean, change. I mean, you used to go to Giant games, and there were guys sitting there that had season tickets for 40 or 50 years. I mean, it's a much different crowd now. Now going to NFL games, it's not even worth rooting for the opposing team because you have no idea what the hell someone's going to do behind. You. That's a, it's a really, real, yeah, it's freaky. That's what yeah. that's what the National Football League's got a real problem is people going to games. It's much more enjoyable to watch the game at home than it is going to a game, especially if you're going to go out there and root for the opponent because people get out of whack, people get crazy, they're drinking way too much. People sometimes we all know this. They're happy drunks, they're sad drunks, and there are violent drunks. Yeah, and crazies. sometimes when people don't get the game's not going their way, they'll get particularly violent. It was not necessarily that case. People would rouse you a little bit if you were rooting for the opposing team, but it was all in good fun. Now people take it to another stage and yeah, get we violent. We had that at the Garden with uh, Rangers Canadians. I went with our friend uh, Andrew, and right. he's a diehard Canadians fan. Right. We've seen two games there, one in which the Rangers decimated them, and he got shit on. But it was mostly just like, hey, we're winning, so we're not that upset. And another one where the Canadians were up 5 nothing in like the second, and they just the the shit that was being thrown at him, the right. entire because he's there wearing his 27 NHL championship jacket, and they're just unbelievably ruthless. Destroying him. Oh, I didn't know if he was going to get into a fight, in which case then I'm going to get into a fight with Rangers fans because I'm just going to stand there and watch him oh, get yeah, his ass Oh, yeah, Kyle kicked. fighting. Uh-huh, I'm sure. Okay. I would have had his back. I would have had his back in well. two black eyes. So, no, you, know. you, you, you would have handled yourself well. I, I think I'd be all right. I don't think so. Really? His only athletic ability is playing video games. <laughs> Why do you sit here and take this? I, well, I think that's kind of my job. We didn't really like hammer that part out. I guess so I'm kind of like the funny community. Yeah, so just get knocked like, around so Alexa feels good? Yeah, I guess that's it. Oh, so. believe me, he gives it back. Oh, really? Don't even yeah. let that smile try and fool you. I'm a bit you. of a dick to her, so it's of course fine. he oh, is. Nice. Yeah, that's it goes nice. two ways. It's a good, well, it's a good go. relationship. That's, that's, nice. Nice. Yeah. that's yeah. nice. Your first playoff game that you were at, Nick Celtics in '88, right? Yes, first playoff game. What was that like? Oh, it was fantastic. My mom, uh, growing up in Rockland County, my mom made a promise to me that if the Knicks made the playoffs that year, we would go to the game. So. Um, I grew up in Pearl River Bluevelt in Rockland County, and so uh, I, my mom followed through on the promise. So we drove down in my mom's uh, Volvo station wagon uh, <laughs> with my younger sister, Paulette, and uh, hopped out, drove down in front of Madison Square Garden. Um, and this was a time where uh, scalpers are out in front, and it was, uh, wasn't the warmest of days, and uh, flagged down a guy that was scalping tickets and um, told us what it would be. I think it was for four tickets. It was uh, 50 a pop, 200 cash. And uh, he actually got into the station wagon, uh, <laughs> sat in the back seat. Uh, my mom gave him 200 bucks, and we got four tickets to go see Knicks and Celtics uh, in the late 80s at Madison Square Garden, and my mom came through. So it was a fantastic – that was my first playoff game ever in my life, and wow. it was a great experience. I was How times have changed how a stranger can just get in the back seat of your car? Got right in the back seat <laughs> in the car. Because he was like, I can't do this out in public. My mom was like, all right, hop in. So he got in the back seat, and yeah. uh, he uh, told us uh, how much the tickets would be. There was a quick negotiation in terms of the price and uh then he said uh, for four it would be 200 and my mom cracked out the 200 we went to the game wow your mom is awesome yeah it was, was fantastic mom. it was great it was great it was unbelievable and uh, i'll never forget it to, you know I, i've told that story a number of times on the air i'll never forget it and uh it was something that you know when sometimes when your parents follow through and they say they're going to promise to do something then follow through and do it I'll, I'll never forget that day i still have the program for the game that i went to um you know and the celtics were great i mean they had you know 
Parrish and McHale and Larry Byrne. The Knicks got destroyed in the series, but uh, it was still an all-time great moment. Yeah, absolutely. You were also at Game 7 of the 94 Stanley Cup Finals. I was, yeah, with my dad. Uh, we had uh, partial season tickets uh, for the Rangers. My dad, uh, who worked for City, uh, he retired about three years ago. Uh, him and his buddies, we used to split. They used to split season to, uh, ticket Rangers season tickets throughout the season. So you, you'd get probably like eight guys. So you got like um, ten games or eleven games a year, and then you get an opportunity by season to uh, get playoff a uh, playoff game each round, right? So uh, ninety four, um, we had an opportunity to either pick game one or game seven, uh-huh. and I had a dream that the Rangers won the Stanley Cup in Game Seven at Madison Square Garden, and my dad and I were there. So instead of taking Game One, we took Game Seven. We take game seven, and obviously the Rangers have an opportunity to wrap up that series in a fifth game. They lose that one. They go to Vancouver. They lose game six. Uh They come back to Madison Square Garden and win game seven against the Canucks, and my dad and I are there. It was a moment. uh, My dad and I were there. My uncle, my cousin were there. There's not many Maluses in the United States or walking God's green earth. So there were actually four of us at game seven in 94 at Madison Square Garden, and it was an unbelievable moment. Wow. Is that your greatest live sporting event? Uh yes yeah that's yeah. the greatest live uh well I was there two two of the, the that one and then I was at Game Six ninety six when the Yankees won the World Series and beat the Atlanta Braves and Charlie Hayes made the catch I was uh I was um, with my older sister Kim we were sitting in the right field stands and I never felt a stadium rock literally we're sitting underneath the upper deck and literally you can see the upper deck shaking there was never a stadium that was louder never a building that I've ever been in that was louder that night I had never witnessed the Yankees win a World Series it was the first time they won a World Series in quite some time they came back from 2-0 down in that and a funny story about that my dad waited up all night Two years, this, is, this is why my dad and my, my mom were great. My dad waited up all night outside of Yankee Stadium in order to get us, me and my sister, oh tickets my to Game 6. That's awesome. That's awesome. Stayed up and slept uh, outside Yankee Stadium with my uncle in order to get season in order to get tickets to that game. It was fantastic. I don't know who's better, mom in the Volvo or dad sleeping outside the stadium because yeah. those are two kick-ass parents. I know. Isn't that great? That's really that's, great. That's, that's a really great. hard like pick as I far know. as which one yeah. is yeah. Like a better story. That's just unbelievable. Like... So did your love of sports then eventually get you into this business, I'm assuming? Yeah, I grew up. Uh, I, I love. It was kind of like, you know, sports is like a distraction for everything. So it takes you away a little bit, and I fell in love with it. Um, loved watching everything and anything. Asked my sisters, asked my uh, my mom and my dad. Uh, I could sit down and watch really any sporting event. Sometimes it drives my wife crazy. You know, I'll watch women's softball. I watch something and everything like that. <laughs> and um, I get into horse racing. So there's a lot of different interests that I have. But, yeah, it really was, Alexa. Um, growing up, watching it, enjoying it, uh, understanding what goes into it, learning the intricacies of it. That's how I got into it and how I fell in love with sports. And then listening to Mike and Chris growing up, uh, listening to that sports radio, watching everything that was going on on, on local TV as well, that kind of led me to where I wanted to go in my career. So you went to Syracuse, and then you ended up being a sports director, and then eventually made your way to working for Chris and Mike, right? for Mike and the Mad Dog. So yeah. listening to them growing up, to then working for them. It was unbelievable. It had to have been. Yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I came out of Syracuse, and I worked for uh, WLIR in Rockland County. My mom helped me get a job coming right out of school. And I had done internships at MTV and WABC and, uh, and The Fan and local stations up in Syracuse while I was in college and uh, get this job. I was news and sports director for this 500-watt radio station that basically you couldn't hear 
I would say, six miles from the station. Mm -hmm. It would basically become very, very choppy. Did everything that worked split shifts. I was making, I think, six fifty an hour. I got a raise at one point in time. It went up to seven and a quarter an hour. I was not making no money. I was living at home, uh, which was fine, but I was getting a good amount of experience. And I called up Eric Spitz at the fan um, about 15 months out of college, and I said, you know, I'm looking for an opportunity to get back in. So he said, come on in, interview, and, you know, we'll chat with you. So I sat down with Eric and um, started working the next weekend uh, because they were they offered me a job right after my internship, right out of college, and I turned it down because I wanted to stay on air. Started there August of 2000, uh, working behind the scenes, producing uh, Ann Liguori on the weekends, on overnights on the weekends, and doing some fill-in shifts here and there. March of 01, after being, becoming the fill-in board op for Mike and Chris, Jerry Recco goes and becomes the overnight uh, anchor for Joe Beningo. A spot opens up. Mike and Chris like me. I become their board op and start working with them for about six and a half, for about seven years. So I've talked to a lot of people who have worked with them or for them or around them, and we've get a, we get a lot of awesome stories about right. people you know who have. But um, from both sides of the coin, you know, positive and negative. What was your experience like there? Well, I mean, I, I think everything else. I mean, there, there are positives and negatives to every experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a what lot of What was your pres- craziest experience there? Well, I mean, there's a, well, crazy. Um, hmm, that's a good question. In terms of what? Like work or? Yeah, or personal. Something that, you know, you just kind of took away as like, that, that was really unique to this situation. It's never happened before or will never happen again. I guess the, the best experience I had or most unique experience I had was being thrown into the deep end of the water and producing them uh, Super Bowl week down in Houston mm-hmm. for uh, Panthers and Patriots. Uh, Chris Carlin, who was the producer at the time, got an opportunity to cover one of the teams for WFAN. So they said, would you like to produce Mike and Chris that week? And I said, fine, yeah, I'll do it. That's good. And it comes along with a lot of pressure to go out there and make sure you book guests. And I booked 70 guests over the course of five days. Wow. I booked Brett Favre, um, the only person, uh, the only station in the country that he did. Um, so those are kind of experiences, uh, things that I like, kind of I took great pride in. But it came a lot, along with a lot of pressure. They are and they were um, uh, the greatest um, sports talk show this this medium has ever seen and yeah. will ever see. Yeah, it really is amazing. And how both of them, after the split, went on to continue to be so successful at their respective. Gigs. Sure, but they're different. I mean, it, honestly, and and you know, it's it. You know, Chris is does a great solo show. Mike does a great solo show. Together, they were magic. So yeah. it, it's just not the same when they're when they're not together. And I'm not, it's not a knock on either one of them. It, it just is what it is when, you know, it's, you don't even have to be to the trained ear. If you're just a sports talk fan, if you're a sports fan, when they were together, uh, it was magic. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and that is very, very difficult to find. And it's a shame that it couldn't continue uh, for, for a number of different reasons. It didn't. And, um, and now they've gone on to do their solo things and they do a very good job solo, but together they were off the charts. You don't have any sort of lasting scars from anything that he's uh anything that he's you know drug you through and and you've come out on the well, other last end thing, strong... scars. i mean there was a spring training with the yankees where i joked around with chris and mike and it was a particularly long day uh down in tampa and this was uh the randy johnson yankees and gotta remember the yankees uh at times aren't exactly a producer's best friend uh-huh. where uh they're gonna go out of their way as an organization to give you the guys that they need that you need right mm-hmm. because at times, they don't feel like they need to. They're the Yankees, right? Which troubles you as a producer at times. Uh, they don't have to go out of their way because they you know, they publicize themselves and they don't need to go out there and go above and beyond. So there was a time where we were having a really long show down in Tampa. It was hot out. It was spring training. 
It was the middle of a road trip that we were doing. And um, I was sitting outside the Yankee clubhouse, and Mike and Chris basically wanted to bust my balls about not having any guests on. And so I put on the headphones and started going back at them a little bit um, <laughs> and basically said, I think the Yankees basically want to, you know, they're, they'd rather go out there and stretch and do batting practice rather than talk to you two. And, and so that, yeah. that did not rub Mike the right way. Um, and so, uh, you know, and I was just joking around. And, you know, the, and, and Chris took it as a joke and, 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 and everything. And like, and honestly, I was frustrated too as a producer because yeah. you're looking, you go down there, you're trying to do the best job you can do. And there are times going to be gaps of an hour, two hours when guys are not going to go out there and be available. But Mike did not like that. So <laughs> that would probably be the lasting scar. He did not like the very fact that of maybe I challenged him a little bit on the air. He didn't yeah. like the very fact of that I poked fun at Mike and Chris on the air. Yeah. Um, so I heard about that afterward. Do you have any sort of lessons or you know something that you learned from them that you take away as a positive yeah, I mean, I know your overall experience and you got a lot of experience and, and that helped you later on in your career. But any sort of lesson that you were like, wow, going in, I didn't really, you know, feel like I had the, you know, the knowledge about and coming out of it, I absolutely now know. Um, well, I think there are times as, uh, as a personality, as an on-air host where, uh, from Chris, I learned that there are times where you got to turn chicken shit into chicken salad, um, where there might not be a particularly great story to talk about, uh, but you've got to go out there and find maybe, uh, a tantalizing angle, uh, to grab the attention's audience. Sometimes maybe you can poke fun at the audience. Maybe you can poke fun at the fan base. Maybe you can have a little fun at your own expense, uh, add a little personality into the mix. So I, I think there from Chris that's probably what I learned uh, the most from him is uh-huh. is adding that angle to it and giving yourself a little bit of an edge as far as Mike is concerned you know the preparedness make sure that you're up to date on everything I mean going into it I mean you know, from what I was as, you know, at, at, in 2001, you know, I'm 25 years of age then, you know, I'm 40 years old now. I, I worked with them for seven years. Um, I, looked at, I learned basically you have to have a drive and a passion uh, to do what you want to do. Um, and they certainly did. And they certainly do right now uh, individually in the shows that they do. Uh, love what you do. And that all comes across. Um, make sure you're prepared. That's part of the job, part of the territory. Make sure you read up. Make sure you watch everything that you need to watch. Don't get lazy. Don't lean on your success. Continue to drive and strive forward. I I think those are probably the biggest life lessons or job career lessons that I got from both of them. Those are big lessons, and those are things that you will carry with you for the rest of your life, essentially. Yeah. And they're great building blocks, right, for the next places that you go. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, work ethic, uh, you know, my my mom and my dad were uh, very hard workers. My mom worked, and my mom and dad were divorced when I was young. Uh, You know, when I was uh, five, six years of age, my mom and my dad were divorced. So I come from a split family. My mom worked two jobs the majority of my life. My dad worked, obviously, uh, he was working 15, 16 hours a day. My dad used to travel all over the country, all over the world as well. So there were times where I learned uh, in terms of where you want to go, you need to really work extremely hard. So Mm -hmm. that really was instilled by my parents growing up. Uh, So that's why I, I... and sometimes I work at a ridiculous level now, <laughs> yeah. and it drives my wife crazy. And sometimes my dad gets a little bit worried about where I am, and my mom does as well. <laughs> but um, it, you know, that's really where it came from. But in order to get to where you go, you got to go out there and continue to hustle, continue to work. 
This work ethic is amazing. I love it. Do you have a, a hero or a mentor or somebody either in the business or in your family or in life in general that well, my that dad's my you? best friend? Yeah. I mean, my dad's my best friend. So anytime I hear, and I've got two sons now, and anytime I hear parents go, well, I'm your parent. I'm not your best friend. He was my best man at my wedding. Uh, he is a guy that uh, I can call morning, noon, and night. Um, he, you know, There were times where I was in a tough spot in the city, and he'd come get me at 3 o'clock in the morning. So my dad was, uh, my dad is, uh, you know, I you know I owe a lot of things in my life to my dad. So I'm extremely close to him. If I if I learn from or if I have somebody that I look up to, a hero or somebody that uh, really was a driving force in my life, it would probably be my father. Um, and uh, that'll never change. There'll no there'll be nobody in my life uh, that's a closer friend to me than my father. Um, and um, and I'm proud of that. And people thought it was pretty cool that he was uh, you know the best man at my wedding. Uh, you don't see that all that often. Yeah. You know he's the godfather to my first child in Jackson. Um, and so there, there are things that, uh, that with my dad, that my name, my second son, Paul after him, um, that, um, that I, that I'll take for the rest of my life. And, and I got that instilled in me growing up. If someone were to ask your dad, what is the thing in your career that brings him the most joy or the most pride? What would he say? Um, great question. The thing in my career that brings him the most pride. Because obviously he's going to be very prideful of your children and your wife right. and your family life. But career wise, what do you um, think? I think the fact that I'm on the fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the fact that uh, I, I, I didn't have to move anywhere else in the country, that I got to do sports talk and be on TV uh, in New York, but specifically probably WFAN. Uh, that I'm uh, able to go and I've filled in, I've done every time slot there, morning drive, afternoon drive, middays and everything like that. I think that's probably the thing that he's um, uh, most prideful about. But I I also think he's, um, aside from that, I think in a very, very difficult industry, which you guys know, which everyone knows, uh, to be able to continue to work and grind when people fall by the wayside. And I, I think that's important for everybody to know that there are going to be people that I, there are guys I went to school with at Syracuse, uh, that dropped by the wayside a year, two years out of college. that couldn't grind it. that couldn't do it. that didn't want it enough. Um, I think my dad is probably very proud of the fact that I did continue along the journey and followed through and, and reached uh, some of my goals that I have in my life career-wise. Well, it's honest, it's funny. You and I were talking about it recently, and I was just asking you some career advice. And it's so simple, but you just said like something that kind of just you know lit a light bulb off of me that was just like, you have to believe in yourself. No doubt. And it's, it really is. It's such a simple concept, and people have said it before, but it was just the way that you had kind of you know, the way you would put it in the structure of what we were talking about, it it really, you know, it hit me like, yes, this is what you have to do because no one else is going to do it for you. you gotta it be has the big- to be you. Yeah, you got to be the biggest fan of yourself. Right. I mean, that's it. I yeah. mean, and, and I'm not talking about self-promoting. I'm not talking about telling everybody how great you are, but you have to wake up every, every single day and, and you've got to, you've got to believe that you can get the job done and yeah. continue to strive. And don't let anybody pigeonhole you. Don't let anybody tell you there's something that you cannot do uh, because once you buy into that, then the game is lost. Once you start to believe what people are want to say about you, which can be complete, which is utter and complete bullshit, uh, then 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 you're stuck there, and you don't want to be there mentally. So you've got to go out there and say, okay, this is really what I want to do. How can I get there? Even if one road's closed, 
by the way, your work ethic that you're good to work with, another road will open. Trust me. I mean, I've had so many different avenues open up in my life when, when I'm least expecting it. All of a sudden, somebody that I worked with six or seven years ago gives me a call and I've got another opportunity. Not, not, I'm not patting myself on the back, but it's a case of continuing to go out there, be easy to work with, work hard, take pride in the, what you want to do, and continue to strive for what you want to do. And don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do something. Yeah, absolutely. Don't burn bridges either. That's no. like the, the last thing that's that's smart that you could do. Um, okay, so from radio to TV, Yeah, what do you like better? What's your favorite medium? It's completely different. I mean, radio, <laughs> you have, you know, you get freedom. You have, uh, you know, you start a monologue on radio, you got 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, it's you. And people that say it's easy, bullshit, it's not. <laughs> I mean, you pop on the microphone and, and uh, you got 50,000 clear channel watts and 660 WFAN in New York City. You're not looking to embarrass yourself. People are now on Twitter will jump on you like white on rice. So uh, it's, it's sink or swim time. So anybody that says it's easy to do or whatever, that's complete and utter crap. So uh, I think radio is a little bit, is a lot different than TV. TV, you got to be quick. You got to be quick with your thoughts. You got to get them out quick. You got to fight. You got to be passionate. You want to make sure that you, you people see exactly what you're thinking on your face as well. Mm-hmm. And you want to be strong with your opinions. In radio, Alexa, you got so much more time. Yeah. I mean, you got You can be able to flush out an idea, and that's why I mentioned the 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 thought before with Russo in terms of turning chicken salad into chicken shit. There are times where. There is nothing to talk about in radio. You're doing a sports talk show, and there is literally nothing to talk about. And you have to take a mohill and try and make a mountain out of it. (laughs) And that is difficult to do, and there is nowhere else to lean on. That microphone pops on. If you're doing a solo show, it's you and nobody else. There's nobody else to lean on. There's not an update person. So I enjoy both of them. Both are big-time challenges. I got into the industry to do more radio than TV. The TV avenue opened up uh, in 2008, um, really when I at least expected it because of my work on radio. So I'm happy to be doing both. Both I really enjoy, and they're completely different. I think that's what keeps both of them pretty fresh. Yeah, absolutely. And you do a great job on both of them. We love watching you, obviously, on SMY uh, and and listening to you on the radio. So we have a couple of Twitter questions. Can we oh, take some Twitter here, yeah. questions? All right. Um, Julie said, any word on if the Mets are going to sign Juan Uribe? Sandy didn't shut it off the other day when he was asked about Uribe. He was a good teammate, but I don't know, uh, I don't know if right now I don't think they have space for him. No, I don't think so either. Uh, when I said we were going to have a sports expert on the show, <laughs> RationalFan69 yeah. said loose use of the term expert. Well, Mark gets paid to talk about sports for a living. Well, that's just for, Twitter. For like six different platforms. And you so say that's I'm enough, a troll. That's yeah. enough of an expert for this podcast, all right? RationalFan69. By the way, if you have 69 in your Twitter handle now, yeah. you're, first of all, you're not getting any. Definitely not 69. And oh! it's, and, and it's 2016. Wasn't you that joke? You might not enjoy 69, though. What? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that joke like over 25 years ago? Um, all right. Joe asks, uh, yeah. if the Mets are true and for real and could do so, what player would they would go right now to make the team better? Would go, like, would leave? Joe, you got to... Wait, yeah. if English, the Mets, English is hard. If the, if the Mets were truly for real and could do so, right. what players would go right now to make the team better? I, what I, players would go right now? Um, like, would they get rid of? Does that make sense? Or would go out? Would they put out onto the field? I, I don't know. I'm even looking at the tweet, and it's written. Exa- it's not like we transcribed this wrong. It doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Sorry, Joe. Joe. Who would you uh, go with in the in terms of your if lineup? You could, if you could add another player, maybe. Like I don't. This I, is like college on having, the radio, Moose. We're just yeah, hanging yeah, up on all the There you go. Right. It's like four o'clock in the morning. 
Leslie and Fort Lee. What... Oh, Leslie! <laughs> there we go. The old staple. <laughs> what New York sports team is the closest to a championship? Yeah, I think it's um, not the Knicks, not the Nets. Um, maybe making the argument for Kyle's Giants. Um, and you could certainly make the argument for the Mets, not yeah. the Yankees. Uh, if you had to pick between the Giants and the Mets, who would you pick? I'd probably take. Uh, I'd probably take the Mets. Yeah. I'd probably take the Mets. Well, we haven't played any football games yet, so... Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Week one. Uh, yeah. Don't worry. You'll Week- suffer your rash of injuries. <laughs> yeah. guys will I'm be sure dropping we'll, like half flies. The, half the team will fall out. Right. And, we'll that's be, a, and you guys will well, be done. There goes this season. That's I'm rooting exactly for fantasy. <laughs> Both Jennifer and Nate uh, want to know if Collins' job is in trouble if they miss the playoffs this year. Well, I think it depends on how they miss the playoffs. I think right now he's got... Um, He's got a built-in excuse with the amount of injuries. You know, no Duda, uh, no Wright, no Matt Harvey. Uh, they've got injured left and right. You're looking at Cespedes, who's not 100% healthy. Down performances. I don't think this is Terry Collins' fault. Now, he'll make decisions within a game where you want to throw something up against the wall, where you <laughs> say to yourself, what the hell is Terry Collins thinking? Right. How do you manage a game like that? Aside from that, though, um, I, I, do think, I don't think this is the manager's fault. But could I see him um, being thrown to the Wolves after the season? I could if they miss the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know where they would turn to, though, is the problem. There aren't that many guys out there. It'd be that another Sandy guy. Wind. It'd be another guy that Sandy, uh, you know, that takes. Yeah, but this is my problem when they just want to fire the coaches or fire the managers. Who are you going to get? Well, I mean, why, to me, it's more about in the yeah, NBA. That's why I don't think they'd move on team. from him after. If and next year was a disaster, then maybe. But I don't. But Mark's think right. This it depends year. on how they would miss the playoffs. Yeah, how that they is. Miss That's the a huge playoffs. factor. Mr. Blonde wants to know why you must insist on taking calls from Bernard in Queens every time you're on the air. Uh, because Bernard's in ta- entertaining. <laughs> I mean, because he has strange questions at 540 in the morning, and he has a, a strange way of delivering them, and he's entertaining, and people love him. Is uh, he your weirdest caller? No, see, I wouldn't say he's weird. I mean, we get calls from, you know, I'll get calls from Sour Shoes from time to time doing John and Susan impersonations, oh, and I'll do a little hilarious. mic and stuff like that. So um, I'll get calls from him a little bit. So you want to say he's a little weirder? Yeah, Bernard's just a an older guy that's up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he just has his questions written down, and he asks <laughs> them in a particular way, and you go from there. But oh, that's it, amazing. It's a specific style, but Bernard from Queens, is a he's a, he's a king of the overnight. He's never not going anywhere. Is that overnight shift? Is there like a special bond between you and your frequent callers? Yeah, because they get more time to talk. Yeah. You know, you call in the afternoon, you're on, you're, on, you're off quick. You yeah. know, you, you go out there and you proverbially, uh, you say uh, how great the show is, how much you like the host, you're hoping for a little bit of extra time that goes along with playing the game, and then you, you get your 30 or 40 seconds and then you're off the air. On the overnight, we have so much more flexibility. <laughs> so we have, you know, we don't have 18 minutes of spots an hour. We have maybe eight minutes of spots an hour. <laughs> so that means you got 10 more minutes to fill. And I'm going to give you some leeway as long as you make sense, as long as you're not stoned, as long as you're not (laughs) drunk and you make a poignant or tangible point and you kiss my ass a little bit, you'll get all the time in the world. All right. There you go. Well, there's your answer, Mr. Blonde. Um, Damon Amendolara wants to know when SU football will be ranked again. Yeah, never. (laughs) <laughs> well, there you go, David. Um, <laughs> no, no, I think I like the new head coach. He's going to bring the Baylor offense, but it's going to be a while. He's going to probably need two or three recruiting classes to get his style of player in. Okay. Well, those are our Twitter questions. Very there nice. You Thank you, Twitter. Very well done. Thank you. And we end every podcast, Moose, with an embarrassing story. I'm going to go first. You think about yours, okay. and we're going to get one from you. So 
I was thinking about this the other night with my husband, and Shark Week was on TV. Okay. And I was like, oh, remember that time that thing happened with Shark Week? And he was like, yeah, that has to be your embarrassing story this week for the podcast. So um, a couple years ago, I think it was in 2013, it was one of the first years that I really got into Shark Week. I believed that one of the fake documentaries on Shark Week was true. It was called Megalodon, the Monster Shark, and it was about a great white shark who was essentially fatter than a real great white shark, but that existed 2.6 million years ago, and they were trying to say that he's still around now in this fake documentary. But they had scientists on, they had doctors on, they had veterinarians on, but they were all actors, and they didn't admit that until the end of the show. Although, every couple of minutes, and every couple of minutes, every couple of commercial breaks, they would put up a graphic that was like, warning, graphic content, and I think in the small print, it was like, and this is also fake, but it really seemed like a real, actual documentary. So I watched this whole thing, and I went in the next day and was telling all of my coworkers about it. Right. First of all, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't go in the water that summer. <laughs> and I was terrified that there was actually a megalodon deep somewhere in the ocean. And I went in the next day and told all my coworkers about it, and they waited till about, I told it like a 10-minute story about how they ate all these people, and people were dying, and it was a whole epidemic. And they waited till the end to be like, yeah, you know that was fake, right? Like this whole thing came out that that was just a total farce. So that made me feel really special and bad. But it happened to a lot of other people, and they pulled it from the Shark Week lineup. So it was embarrassing, so but it was a, embarrassing for so a they, lot of other people too. So they did a fake documentary on yes. a, on a, a big shark that does not exist. Yes, but used to exist, and they tried to in this fake documentary pretend like it still existed. That it's still deep in the out ocean. There. Did yeah. you believe that Sharknado actually happened too? Or <laughs> that actually you can tell is fake. See, I get my jams think, in every right? now and then. That's it. There right. you go. Yeah. Kyle, is your turn? I usually don't tell one. You don't it's, tell it? No. I mean, Why not this time? I mean, it's your turn to tell one. No, you're We up. embarrass him the whole podcast. That's true. I did. Pokemon it, Go. But, like, it was. Is that embarrass Kyle a bit today. I've told a few stories, though. You've told in a, a couple? I, yeah. Right. We can queue him up and you can listen to him. Most of them are, I'm incapable of holding alcohol at least once or twice. Oh, is that true? So you you're like throwing up, up left and right? People. It, was, it was one time. Yeah, I cut him it was off a bad time. That. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go back. Um, hmm, an embarrassing story. I'll go all the way back. I mean, I'll go back to... Um, I was at St. Catherine's Elementary School, and it was uh, the third grade of St. Catherine's Elementary School, and we did a class trip to Sesame Place, uh-huh. right? So um, it was one of those things where, you know, you get the sign-up sheet and everything like that, and you, you take the road trip to go see the, you know, leave early in the morning, and you go out there, and you're out there for like five or six hours. So third grade, uh, we were playing in, I think we jumped in, they had like the huge ball pit. In, uh, at Sesame Place. So you jump into the ball pit and everything like that. So in the midst of the ball pit, you know, like, you know, like boy, like little boys, you're, you know, roughhousing and this and that, right? So I got de-pantsed in the ball pit <laughs> by Patty McPartland. You right? remember her name, too. That's great. It's a guy. Oh, his name. Yeah, Padraic right. was oh, okay. his first name. <laughs> All right. And but he went boys by... school. What are you doing? Pay uh, attention. No, it was, it was actually co-ed. Oh, but, uh, okay. Yeah, St. Catherine's. Ha-ha. Catholic oh. school, but oh, it was okay. co-ed, boys and girls. But Patty McParland, Padraic McParland, uh, West Nyack, New York, he lived, uh, de-pantsed <laughs> me in the ball pit at Sesame Place Can we get in his the third grade. his phone number, too? No, I, I think they moved. <laughs> he became a skateboarder, uh, and he moved away from the area. I think he moved out west. I have no idea 
what the hell he's doing now. But anyway, after that, Patty McParland, after that point in time, used to torture me by then taking two soccer balls and saying my ass looked like two soccer balls together. It's a dick move by him. <laughs> Oh my gosh. First that Patty was a girl, but yeah. not really a girl. And then that Patty put two soccer balls. From that together point forward I couldn't good. go into any more ball pits. That was it. And do you have I a fear of ball pits now? No, nah, I will not go. I never went in another one after that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like a fear of clowns. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my gosh, I love that. Any sort of pantsing story is always perfect. There you go. Moose, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having we me. Really Alexa. appreciate thank it. You, thank Kyle. you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Joey. And let's go get a snack.